kids go back to school this week. Woohoo! Yeah, any parents in the house? Am I the only one excited about that? I don't know. Um, it just feels like they've been at home for three years at this stage. And uh, it's hard to believe it's a new term, but it's also a new... Uh, I guess the church term runs on a similar thing. The church kind of runs from September through to June then with the summer break and, uh, and all of that. And uh, just before the summer, it was Elijah's school sports day. They managed to squeeze it in at the end of term. And, and uh, I, our little boy is wonderful. He is, he is brave. He's bold. He's courageous. He's feisty. He's incredibly talkative. Um, and uh, he is crea- creative, incredibly creative. He's not probably an athlete. Uh, just being really honest, he's not an athlete. Um, and the, the school sports day, and he, was, um, he came home and I said, how did you do? And he, he didn't win anything. And he, he said, but my, my friend, there's two twins in his class, Harry and Alfie, and I, I never know which, I call them Halfie, uh, because I, I never know which, one of them, Halfie, uh, won three medals, and he said, and he was going to give me one, and I looked at him and went, I hope you didn't take it. And he said, no, I didn't. And it got me thinking about this culture that we live in. There's many things about our, our politically correct culture that, as you probably know from, if you know me at all, I can't stand. Um, and one of them is the idea of participation trophies. Now, that was not a thing when I was at school, and some of you have no idea what that is. When I was at school, if you became first, second, or third, you won a medal. And everyone else went home, and they were the losers. And, and when they went home, they maybe, you know, they got a pat on the back, you did your best, or maybe next time, or train harder, or there's other things you're good at. Um, you know, like nowadays, in many schools, everyone gets a medal, whether they come first, second, third, or 23rd. And I have to be honest, I, I struggle with that. I, I find that, and like I say, I'm saying this as a, a dad who is a son who is not going to probably be in the Olympics, okay? So I'm not saying this as, as someone who, who is biased towards that. But, but I, I struggle with that participation. I mean, I get the idea. The idea is to preserve kids' self-esteem, to, to, to make them feel good about themselves. It's all about participation. You know, it's taking part that counts. What a load of rubbish. What a load of absolute bull, I was going to say, but I won't. Um, because it does two things. The first thing, it, it, it diminishes the reward for those who actually work hard. Those who have trained, those who have worked, those who have put in the hours, the, the discipline, it, it says to them, you're just like everyone else, you don't deserve anything better. So it diminishes their achievement. And the second thing is this, it doesn't prepare young people for the future. And as parents and as schools, part of the job is to prepare young people for reality. And I hate to say this, but in the real world, not everyone gets a medal. Not everyone comes first. Not everyone is a winner. If there is one job and 80 people go for the job, the guy who's interviewing them goes, you know what, guys, I don't want any of you to feel bad, so I'll give you all jobs. That is not how it happens in the real world. There are people who work hard. You know, like, like if you just go, unless you're in the civil service, if you just go and sit there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to pull that one back. Um, no, but seriously, you don't get promoted for sitting there. You get promoted for working harder than those around you. In the real world, there is competition. In the real world, life is hard. 
And what we are teaching young people and what we're teaching children is that it doesn't really matter how hard you try, you know, you're a winner anyway. And we wonder why we've got a 32-year-old man living in his parents' basement thinking he's a winner, you know? And, uh, you know, he's a winner because he plays Xbox every day and can't hold down a job. No, we're wondering why we've got an entitled generation who think they deserve something for nothing. It's because we've told them they're all winners. And they're not. And even the Bible backs this up because the Bible, Paul says, I run as one not beaten the air, but as one who's going to win a prize. The Bible talks about rewards. The Bible talks about prizes in many places. Let me just give you a few verses. James 1.12. Having stood the test. Sorry. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. It's those who stand the test that get the reward. Everyone who's a Christian gets to heaven, but there are rewards for those who stand firm through difficulty. Revelation, Jesus says to the church, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you your you life as your victor's crown. There's crowns, there's rewards. The Bible makes it very clear that not everyone is a winner. I'm sorry to break some of your hearts, the more politically correct people in this church. You've probably not been here very long or else you'd have probably went somewhere else at this stage already. But the world doesn't tell everyone you're a winner. Jesus doesn't tell everyone. The Bible talks so much about perseverance. It talks about endurance. It talks about keeping on, keeping on. It talks about faith and fortitude and resolve and stickability and determination and persistence. Words that we don't hear too much today. You know, I don't follow Jesus because it's the easiest life. I follow Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And we have fed this Christian culture that says, come to Jesus and everything will be okay. Come to Jesus and, you know, he'll have it easy. Come to Jesus and everything will be, he'll take your sin away and you'll have heaven. And, you know, and all of that's true. But can I say to you, following Jesus is not the easy way out. It is not the easy way out. If you follow Jesus increasingly, especially in this culture, and watch what happens in the next few years, you will face ridicule, you will face rejection, you will be called all sorts of names that are not true. You will be persecuted, all for standing firm in your faith and belonging to Jesus. The Christian life is not a cruise ship, it is a battleship. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be prepared for that. We need to understand that following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. In the first three centuries of the church, if you were a Christian, you expected persecution. You expected your door to be knocked and you to be dragged out at any stage. You expected to be stoned or even crucified. The Christian life is not for the faint of heart. It is not just for old ladies sitting around in the mother's union having cups of tea. Bless them all. That is the picture most of the world has of the church. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is one of perseverance. It is one of stickability. It is one of endurance. And it is one of of standing firm to the end. And we're going to see that in Hebrews 12, where we've got a bunch of people who have come to faith in Christ from a Jewish background. 
They believe Jesus is the Messiah and it's all been wonderful, but now their neighbors are turning against them and their family are turning against them and the Jewish authorities are turning against them. And then there's the, 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 authority, the Roman authorities who are, who are saying you have to worship Caesar as Lord and they're saying we can't do that and so they're being persecuted and beaten and, and they're losing their homes and their livelihood. And there's this pressure to conform. There's this pressure to pull back. There's this pressure to... To go back to their old way of life because it was easier. And so the writer to Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, the writer to Hebrews is writing to them to say, keep on going. It's worth it. Keep on going. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Let me read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, endurance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat, sat, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's three or four things I just want to say, and I, I'm going to say them quickly because I realized in the first service I was running out of time. So my first one is this, run your race. It says, let us run with perseverance the race. Let us run with perseverance the race. How many of you like exercise in the room? Put up your hand if you like exercise. Nobody over here. Nobody here. You, yeah. Gemma, anyone else? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Did you hear that? Sorry, I didn't understand. Yes, Lord, neither do I. If there was ever a voice from heaven... You put up your hand, you guys, said you like exercise, and a voice said, sorry, I don't understand. I agree with that. I don't like exercise, but I like chocolate cake and cheesecake, okay? Therefore, I go to the gym a few times a week. I have no idea how that happened, but thank you, Lord, for that moment we've just had. In school, the, the only race I ever won was the egg and spoon race, and that was more to do with chewing gum than my athletic ability, if I am being honest. But here the writer to the Hebrews says you need to run the race marked out for you. The few things I want you to see here. The first one is this. The Christian life is one of movement. It's a race. It doesn't say the Christian, the Christian life is sitting there waiting for the evacuation to heaven. The Christian life is battening down your hatches, waiting for Jesus to return. No, the Christian life is one of movement. It is not being saved and stuck. And some of us became Christians 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. And we, that's wonderful, but we haven't done much since. The Christian life is one of progression. It is one of growth. It is one of moving forward and developing and maturing and growing in your relationship with God and in your knowledge of Christ. It is movement. It is not static. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. It is a race marked out for us. In other words, it's not all over the place. Have you ever seen a two-year-old running or, you know, they just run every direction and bump into things? That's what some people's Christian life is like. They're just all over the place. This, this new fad, this new conference, this new church. This, and, and the Christian life isn't, the Christian life is one of direction. There's a race marked out for you. And you, and you, and your lane is going to be different than mine. I am not in competition with you because your gifting and your ability and all of that is different than mine. 
But there is a race marked out for you. And we live in a world where people are desperately seeking purpose and meaning. And can I say to you, purpose and meaning is not found in looking in. It's found in looking at Christ and the race that is marked out for you. Purpose and meaning are found as you run in your lane. As you discover how God has made you, as you discover the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has put inside every one of you. You see, when I talk about volunteering and helping out, it is not just because we need people to do that. It is so that you can discover how God has gifted you, what God has put inside you, whether it be in here in the church or out in the community. The goal of your life is to live full and to die empty because you have poured out everything God has put within you. I would hate to get to 80 and look back at my life and go, I wasted that life. God put so much within me and I haven't used half of it. Your calling, your gifting is different than mine, but it is no less significant. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities and a, and, and, and a way of thinking and a way of expressing yourself that he wants to use. And you have a lane and you run in that lane and you focus on that lane and you don't get distracted by looking around you, but you stay fixed on the purpose that God has given you. No one can run your race except you. You have a gift and you need to find the place to use it. Embrace your place. And some of you, your races will be flat and smooth. And some of you, it'll be all uphill and downhill. Some of you, it'll be full of twists and turns. And some of you will be straight and steady. But no matter what your race looks like, the writer of Hebrews says it will not all be easy because he says, look, let, or he or she, we don't know. Let us run with perseverance, means endurance, persistence, keeping on going when you want to give up. The Christian life isn't a hundred meter sprint. The Christian life is a marathon. And it's not how you start that counts, it's how you finish. You see, I've seen so many people, I've been a Christian for 30 years now, and I've seen so many people start so, so well. And they're on fire, and they're passionate, and they're going to be a world changer. And then five, ten years later, they're doing their own thing. And what happened? All sorts of things happened along the way. But ultimately, it's that they didn't keep going. They didn't keep going. They didn't have perseverance and endurance. They are not popular words today. You know, Christian conference, I haven't seen a Christian conference ever called How to Persevere and Endure. Those don't sell. How to Discover Your Destiny. That sells. You know, how to hear God's voice. And I understand all that because they're the books I write. But <laughs> because I know if I wrote a book, How to Persevere Under Trial and Persecution, it would be crickets. Not a word. Nobody would want it. But we need as a people to understand in these days of darkness and difficulty and, dif- and, and, and just all that's going on in our world, we need to understand that if you're going to follow Christ, you need to persevere and endure. It sounds like hard work and it is, but you will never go the distance. 
And I used to be so impressed by people who started well. Now I'm impressed by people who finish well. We bumped into a pastor up on the north coast this last week. I'd never met him before, but I, was, I knew who he was and he knew who I was. And we were outside a coffee shop and he came over and he's 70 and he's a retired Baptist pastor. And he was just, I just, there was just something about him. That there was just this sense of he has persevered. And I'm not saying 70 super old, by the way. He's got plenty of years left in him. But there was just a wisdom there. There was a depth there. And we were only chatting him for about five minutes in the middle of the street. And before he left, he just said, I want to pray with you as a family. And he just, it was as natural for him as breathing to pray for us. I'm impressed by that. Guys who start well, girls who start well, that's wonderful because you don't get anywhere by not starting. But I'm more impressed by the people who go the distance because they have shown that they have got endurance and perseverance and stickability and the ability to keep on going through difficult times. Run your race. The second point is this. Take your turn. Take your turn. You know, it's very easy for us at the moment, as we look at our world, to imagine nobody's ever had it so bad before. Nobody's ever lived through things like this. And in one sense, this is a unique time in human history, but every time is a unique time in human history. Do you know what I mean? Like your grandparents who lived through the Second World War, or your parents in some cases, that was a unique time in history. The people who lived through the Reformation and persecution 500 years ago, that was a unique time in history. Every time's a unique time in history. Now, this seems to be a a time when what we read in Revelation, we can imagine we're getting closer to the return of Jesus and all of that. But but it's really important for us to understand that, that the time we're living in right now is unique, but it is not any different to the times that Christians and people of faith have lived in for thousands of years. It has never been easy to follow God. It has never been easy to follow Christ. And we are part of a line and a lineage of people of faith through thousands of years who have stayed faithful in the midst of darkness and heartache and hurt and despair. You see, the writer to the Hebrews in verse 3 says this, Consider him who endured such suffering so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And right now in our world, there is... It doesn't take a lot of effort to grow weary and lose heart, sure it doesn't. As we watch the news in Afghanistan, as we watch the political situations around the world, as we watch the wars, as we watch the natural disasters. I mean, Haiti, where hundreds of people died in an earthquake last week, has hardly even got a headline. As we watch just the division and the strife and the race stuff and all of that stuff, it's really, it doesn't take a lot of effort to get weary and lose heart. And yet we need to understand something that in every generation there have been things that have caused people to grow weary and lose heart. Both out there and in our personal lives. Some of you are going through difficult times personally that cause you to grow weary and lose heart. I just want to say to you, yes, my heart goes to you. But following Christ, following God is never easy. I think that's part of the problem is that somehow our culture tries to convince us that life is supposed to be easy and therefore difficulty and, 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 and sickness and all of that stuff is like kind of an exception to the rule. Life is not meant to be easy. We live in a fallen, broken world. 
And for thousands of years, people like you and I who have sought to follow God have found it difficult. It has never been easy. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews says. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance. Race marked out for us. I was always taught that when you see therefore, you ask what it's there for. It's tying into the previous chapter, chapter 11, which is called the Great Hall of Faith, where it goes through all the people, and many of the people in the Old Testament who who stood firm for God, who stood faithfully for God in the midst of difficulty and trial and hardship and persecution and pain. Some of you will have heard of people like David and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Esther and Samson and and Gideon and Rahab and Moses and, and those people, those men and women who through the centuries faced hardship, faced pressure, faced persecution, and yet endured to the end. And the point in listing all of these men and women, and I'm not going to read the chapter because it would take too long, is that he's saying that they were able to remain faithful through pressure, through persecution, through trial, and through turmoil, and through pain and heartache, and you can too. You're not a special snowflake. People who are flawed, people who are messed up like David and Samson were able to stand through difficult times and put their faith and trust in God and you can do it too. Do you know since the time of the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, people tried to run the four minute mile. For centuries people tried to run the four minute mile and they came ultimately to the conclusion that it was physically impossible to run the four minute mile. And then a guy called Roger Bannister ran the four minute mile. And do you know what happened in the year after that? 300 people ran the four minute mile. For centuries people had said it was impossible. But once they saw one person do it, they all realized it was possible. And what the writer here is trying to say is, I know you think it's so hard to stay strong right now. I know that you're under intense pressure. I know that you're suffering and struggling, and I know this is really hard. But others have been there before you, and they've done it, and you can do it too. And he paints this picture. He says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's painting this picture of like a stadium or an amphitheater, almost like the balcony of heaven. And we have the saints of old looking down, and they're cheering us all. I would love it if we could hear it right now. And they're saying, keep going. You can do it. Keep running. Keep persevering. Don't give up. And it's not just David and Samson and all those people. Sometimes I think it's, I think it's your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your parents who taught you about Jesus. It's your Sunday school teacher who's gone to be with the Lord. It's your teacher who told you about Jesus. And I, it's just this beautiful picture of them in the balcony of heaven and they're going... We did it. We're a great cloud of witnesses. We're witnessing you, but we're also witnessing that it can be done. And they're saying, we're watching you run your race. Run your race. You can do it because... Here's the thing. You run different when people are watching. The Olympics this last few while, there were no people in the stadium. and There was no fans. And that must have been so weird, running this... Olympic race that you've trained for and there's nobody cheering you. Because you run different when people are cheering. About 13 years ago when Becky and I started dating, we actually uh, went to the same gym 
in Belfast. And I, I, I went into the gym one evening after work and Becky was on the treadmill and I went over and spoke to her for a few minutes and, and that was great. And uh, she was walking at that time but, and I, after we chatted for a while I said I'm going to go on the cross trainer which just happened to be behind her. Now that was not because I wanted to get that angle. I wanted to make that clear. That was my workout routine, okay? That was my warm-up for the intense regime that I was about to enter into in the gym. So I said to Becky, uh, she's on the treadmill. I says, oh, I'm just popping onto the cross trainer here behind you. Now, only the, some of the women in here will understand how horrible that is. Because um, we just started dating, okay? Um, and so I get on the cross trainer, and Becky's on the treadmill, and she's running, and she's running, and she's running. And she, she's like Forrest Gump at this stage. She's just like, she's just running and running. And I'm like, this girl is on. Like, I didn't realize she was so athletic. You know, and she's running and just getting fat, and she's running and she's running and she's running. And then eventually she gets off the treadmill and away she goes and into the changing room and that's it. And I thought, oh, she is so fat in many ways. And, uh, and uh, she's my wife now, I can say that. And, uh, and she only told me a month or so later when we were, you know, a little bit further on in our relationship that she hates running and it nearly absolutely killed her. But she knew that I was behind her. And you know what? You run different when somebody's watching you. And that's what the writer here is saying. Folks, don't think that you're on your own. Don't think that you're unique. Don't think that what you're going through, no one has ever gone through before. Because there is a company of saints who through the centuries have run the same race as you. At a different time, yes. Different challenges, yes. But they are shouting down, keep on going. Can you hear them? Keep on running. Don't give up. I know you're weary. I know you're losing heart. But keep on running. You can do it. Why? Because God was faithful to us. And God will be faithful to you. Keep on running. This is your time. You see, Moses had his day. And Joshua had his day. And David had his day. And Samson had his day. And Elijah had his day. And Esther had her day. And Paul had his day. And Peter had his day. And you know what it is now? It's your day. And it's my day. It's your time. And it's my turn. And, and we have been past the button like in a relay. And they're saying, you keep on running. Because it's not just about you. It's about the generations coming after you. It's about your children and your grandchildren. It is about them having people that they can look at and go, it is possible. It is possible to run this race of faith. It is possible because they did it, so I can do it. You know, people talk about, are we living in the last days? Are we living in, people ask me, are we living in, and I, I think we are getting closer to that. I think we're, we're starting to see the birth pangs it talks about. Do you know what the reality is? These are my last days. And these are your last days. Sorry to drop that on you, but... I mean, I'm not planning on going anywhere just yet. But, you know, 40 years I've probably got if, I've, if the Lord spares me. You know, I know some of you are really shocked at that right now. But, um, you know, in 40 years I'll be 86. I'd be happy at 86 to, to graduate to glory. I'm just being honest. Good life, hopefully. And... Uh, and so these are my last days. And I need to decide, you know what? At 46, am I going to slow down? At 46, am I going to go, oh, somebody else can do it? Or at 46, am I going to keep on running? 
At 46, am I going to keep on pursuing Jesus? At 46, am I going to be as focused on him as I was when I was 26 or 16 and a new Christian? And that's where my next point comes in. I'm going to drop number three and I'm going to go to number four. And it's fix your focus. Fix your focus. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your focus. What are you focusing on at the minute? I find that I focus on the news a lot. I don't know about you. I find many times through the day I'm on BBC checking out what's happening in the world. And for the last year and a half, we've been fed a, just a steady stream of just horrendous news, let's be honest. And the Bible says this, if you're going to fix your focus anywhere, fix it in Jesus. Yes, there's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on in the world. But don't that, let that be the governing fuel of your life. Fix your eyes on Jesus. As you run this race, as you stay in your lane, yes, be inspired by the saints around you, but fix your focus on Jesus. I remember when I was trying to teach Elijah to ride his bike, you know, he was quite late in learning. And part of the problem was he just gets distracted so easily. And he would just keep looking around him. And, you'd be, and every time he would turn his head, the bike would turn with him. Because wherever he focused, he would go there. And that's the problem in some of our lives. We're so distracted by all the stuff around us. And our lives go here, and our lives go there. And Paul talks about being tossed about like the wind. And we're here, and, and Jesus, our, the God's word says, fix your focus. Remember when Peter was walking on water? He's walking towards Jesus and then it says he saw the wind and the waves and he began to sink. As soon as he lost focus, he began to sink. And you know what? In our world today, if you do not fix your focus on Jesus, you will sink. You will not make it through this. We have got to fix our focus on Jesus, not on the people around us. If you watch people running a race in the Olympics, they're not too busy looking around them. Nor are they looking back at their past. They're fixing their focus forward. And we need to forget about our past, as Paul says in Philippians. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And we need to be less distracted with scrolling through the lives of everybody around us on social media. And we need to fix our focus on Christ. We need to fix our focus on the one who has saved us. He is our destination. And so we fill our mind with his words. We fill our mind with his worship. Jesus is our focus. And I just want to ask, where's your focus right now? You see, in our evangelical culture, we place a huge emphasis on the, when you started your race. When did you become a Christian? And many in the room, not all of us, but many will be able to pinpoint a day and a time and a date and a I was at a Billy Graham mission or I was at a crusade or a mission in church and, or I was here and there and I prayed a prayer, I raised my hand, I went to the front, whatever that was and that is wonderful, that is wonderful. But God really doesn't care so much about what happened 5, 10, 15 years ago as he does right now and he's, he would ask, are you still pursuing Jesus? 
is the direction of your life still going after God? Or have you got distracted? Or have you wandered off? Or have you got discouraged? Or have you got disappointed along the way? Because those things will happen. And I just simply, at the start of this new church terms, new church year, I simply want to ask, is, are you still following Jesus? Are you still pursuing Jesus? Not did you pray a prayer 15, 20 years ago. I don't care about that this morning, to be honest. I'm asking you today, are you pursuing Jesus? Is your focus on Jesus? Is your life built around Jesus? Is he your foundation? Is he your rock? Is he the one in whom you put your trust when things go bad? Or do you run here, there and everywhere? Are you pursuing Jesus? You see, it's people who say, I got married 30 years ago, but they've got a terrible marriage. They stood at the front of the church and they're still married, but they're, if you talk to one of both of them, It's not a good marriage. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's great that you had a marriage, a wedding 30 years ago. What really matters is how's your marriage today? And it's the same with God. Are you pursuing him? Are you pursuing Christ? Are you fixing your focus on him? Because look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Can I tell you that joy was not in the cross? The joy was not in getting beaten. The joy was not in getting whipped. The joy was not in being hung on a cross in shame. The joy was not in any of that. Do you know what the joy was in? You and me. Jesus saw beyond the pain in that moment, and he saw you and I. And he endured the cross, scorning at shame. That was the joy. And we fix our eyes on Jesus and we see a model of someone who endured, not because the thing that they were doing was enjoyable or fun or or, 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 or made them happy. We fix our eyes on Jesus because we see that on the other side of persecution and pain and disappointment and heartache, there is something better. There is life. There is eternal life. We fix our eyes on the eternal destination that God has for us. And he is seated now. Jesus is not pacing about heaven trying to figure out what to do about Afghanistan right now. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and he's ruling and reigning over all creation as King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day he's going to return and put everything right. But we fix our eyes, we fix our affection, we fix our devotion on him. And it says in verse 3, consider him. When you're weary, and I'm finishing right now, when you're weary and losing heart, consider him. Consider him. Think about Jesus. Taken into the wilderness and tempted for 40 days, but he endured. His own family didn't understand him, but he endured. When the Pharisees lied about him, he endured. When the Sadducees conspired to trap him, he endured. When the crowd began to fall away from him, he endured. When Judas betrayed him, he still endured. When he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup away from me, and God didn't take the cup away from him, he still endured. When the temple guard arrested him, he still endured. When the disciples scattered and abandoned him, he still endured. When he went through false trials and lies, he still endured. When Pilate handed him over to the crowd, he still endured. 
When Peter denied him, he still endured. When the crowds cried, crucify, he still endured. When the soldiers mocked and ridiculed him, he still endured. When they whipped him and beat him beyond recognition, he still endured. When they put a crown of thorns into his skull, he still endured. When they hammered him to a cross, he still endured. When all the forces of hell came against him, he still endured. When he absorbed the sin of all humanity, he still endured. And when he cried out, it is finished, he still endured. Consider him. That's why we follow him. We fix our eyes on him. Because he endured, and so can we. And I want to say to you today that you are in a race. And I just want to ask, are you still running the race? And if you are, are you still fixed on Jesus? At the start of this new term, at the start of this new season as a church, my prayer for us is that we would run this race that we would passionately and purposively pursue Jesus. That is who we are. We are not a meeting group on a Sunday. We are a people who are passionate about pursuing Jesus and bringing him into a dark, dismal, desperate world that needs hope. That is what we are about. Fix your eyes on him and listen to the, listen to the shouts. You can do it. Keep running. Don't give up. Fix your eyes on